0: We are on lesson number seven in our series on David. Uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24. I gotta confess to you, my heart's still beating a little bit fast right now, not because I was walking. I had a little scare there a second ago. I looked. I opened up my book to the lesson for today, and it said part two, and I was like, oh no. I studied part two. I I'm not. A, I didn't even do part one, but it's not. It's part two of the whole series, so I'm, I'm good, but my heart's still beating a little bit fast. First Samuel chapter 24, we're going to read verses six through 15 quickly before we uh, actually start into the lesson, but a little bit of background on what uh, verses we're going to read is talking about is, and this is really interesting. If you read through the life of David when he's on the run, and we obviously we've been talking about this. Um, this whole series. But at this point in David's journey in his running from Saul, he goes into a cave, and if you read through this, this is how David and Saul end up in the same cave. But David goes into a cave to rest with all his men, and remember how many men David had? He had he had a lot of uh, mighty men. I don't know if all 400 of them were in this cave or what exactly the situation is. But Saul and some of his most trusted men come into this cave while David's in there and they lay down to sleep and, and, and get some rest and David is in this cave when Saul enters and, they, and Saul doesn't know it and uh, in the night David creeps up to Saul and cuts a piece of his garment off and then creeps back into the cave. Saul leaves the cave and then that's where our story picks up. David calls out to Saul after, after Saul has already left. So verse 6 of 1 Samuel chapter 24. And he said unto his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. So what's happening here is they're asking David, let us kill him. This guy's been chasing you for uh for weeks, months, who knows how long he's been chasing David, but they, they asked David, let us kill him, and David won't let him kill him, so then verse uh, 7, Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way, and David arose afterward and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, my lord, the king, and when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself, and David said to Saul, wherefore hearest thou meant Thou, men's words, saying, "Behold, David seeketh thy hurt." Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that the Lord hath delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave. And some bade me kill thee, but mine eyes spared thee, and I said, "I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed." Verse 11. Moreover, my father, see, see, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in mine hand, for in that I cut off the skirt off thy robe and killed thee not. Know thou, and see, that there is neither evil nor transgression in my hand, and I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. And the Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. As saith the proverb of of the ancients, wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. After whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? The Lord therefore be judge, and judge between me and thee, and see, and plead my cause, and deliver me out of thine hand. David's pleading with Saul. He's, he's saying, I could have killed you just now. You, do you see? I'm not trying to hurt you. I have nothing against you. I, the only reason I'm out here running is for my life. I'm not running around trying to find you and kill you. And, and we'll see here in a little bit that Saul realizes uh, the error, and as he does before, he says, "I'm, you know, I'm sorry. I won't do it anymore." And then, very short time later, he's he's back chasing chasing David. But we're going to talk about this morning, daring to love your enemies. This is not uh, an easy thing to do. It's not, uh, as far as from the world standard, is not the common thing to do. It's not what people do. They don't love their enemies. When you have an enemy it's called an enemy for a reason. You're fighting, you're going after each other, trying to destroy each other as much as you can. Um, But David, way ahead of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, follows the principles of the Sermon on the Mount. He is doing exactly what uh, Matthew chapter 5 says in verse 44 of Matthew chapter 5. It says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse thee." Curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Um, And we'll get into just a few more of those verses in Matthew chapter five. But David dared to love his enemies, but especially his enemy Saul. Um, And a big part of it was because Saul was not David's enemy. But in in verse forty-four of Matthew chapter five, it says, "Bless them that curse you." That's exactly what Saul was doing to David. He hated David. Um, for a few reasons, you know, he he brought David into his house, but maybe he was jealous because David was going to be the next king. Um, the Bible talks about this evil spirit from the Lord that, that Saul had, um, so obviously he's not in his right mind and, and all the rest, but we're going to talk about that this morning, daring to love your enemies. Let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father, I thank you for the stay you've given us. Thank you for the safety you gave us yesterday as we uh spent some hours on the road coming back from Pennsylvania, and, and uh, God, I just thank you for that church plant up there. I pray that as they continue to pass out flyers, continue to contact people, that you would bless uh, that effort that the, the Sheetles are uh, endeavoring in. God, I, I know we're supporting them as a church financially uh, and supporting them in, in our prayers and in many other ways, and God, I just pray that you'd bless that church plant here as it gets started in the next couple of weeks. God, I pray as we've gathered here this morning to meet around your word, I pray that you'd bless us, that you'd give us from your word what you have for us. And um, God, even as we go through this lesson, that completely counter to what the world teaches, we would learn to love our enemies. We would learn to bless them that are cursing us and do good to them that hate us. As we look at David's life, I pray that we'd learn those lessons. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Anybody know the name Louis Zamperini? Pretty common name, uh, Unbroken, is the book that he wrote. Um, but Louis Zamperini, and, and it's interesting, they they made a movie just a few years ago, but I, a few years before that, had actually read the whole book uh, that he wrote, Unbroken. And I have not seen the movie. I don't know, so I can't say if it's, if it's a good movie or not. I'm, the storyline is great, but I don't know what's in it. But um, Louis Zamperini was a... Um, olympian that went to war he was a, he was a runner and he went to war and it's interesting how his story starts this how this book starts as far as so he was on the on the open ocean with three other men for 47 days in a in a life raft and uh if you don't know the story if you do sorry if you don't um i'll just t- tell some highlights real quickly but he uh was on the open ocean for 47 days in a life raft in an inflatable life raft they literally caught sharks with their bare hands and everything else trying to stay alive. When they finally reached land, 47 days after uh, being out on the ocean, and the reason they were out on the ocean, they actually were doing a mission looking for some sailors that had been lost at sea or some some pilots. Another plane had gone down, and they went out looking for them. And I don't remember if they ran out of fuel or if they had a, a mechanical issue, but their plane then went down in the ocean, and for 47 days then they... Uh, Floated along, waiting for somebody to rescue them or waiting for land. Anyway, when they finally reached land, 47 days later, they landed on the mainland of Japan and ended up being taken captive as soon as they landed and put into a POW camp. For two years then, I mean, they're already literally starving to death, almost, you know, bone, skin and bones when they got to land. And then they're put into a prisoner of war camp um, to work and... And you know the, the the torture that goes on in those uh, camps. So for two years they endure that. And there was a general they called the Bird in this prisoner of war camp. And for two years, for whatever reason, the rest of the guys, you know, they worked and, and they had very little to eat and all the rest of that. But for whatever reason, this general in this camp called the Bird, they nicknamed him, hated Louis Zamperini and. He talks about it in the book, he thinks the reason he hated him so much is because he could not break him. He could break anybody he wanted. He could make anybody do anything he wanted, but he could not break Louis Zamperini, his spirit. And uh, anyway, so long story short, two years after they're in this camp, they finally get liberated, they make it back to the US, and Louis Zamperini, at this point, hates, he has nightmares and all the rest of that, what they would call PTSD now, but he has nightmares about being in the camp and, and everything else. Huge drinking problem, major issues in his life. And um, he has one goal, get back to Japan and kill that, that general that they call the bird. Because um, <clears throat> he knew he was alive. He knew they hadn't been prosecuted for any of the war crimes that had taken place or any of that. Well, in 1949, he ends up at a Billy Graham crusade or a tent tent meeting and get saved and he goes up and talks to Billy Graham afterwards and Billy Graham shows him how to accept Jesus as his savior he kneels down he prays and he becomes pretty good friends with Billy Graham from then on the rest of his life but his heart changed and from then on instead of wanting to get back to Japan to kill these these guards he wants to get back there to forgive them. And this is a completely true story. This is in the book Unbroken. But he finally makes it back to Japan and finds out where this guy lives, goes to his apartments, more of like a like a condo in the city, goes there. This guy at this point is successfully running an attorney, an attorney uh, office. He's he's a lawyer, and he's pretty successful, completely uh, disregarding everything he's done to all these people in his past. And Louis Zamperini shows up at his door and has a little messenger boy run up there and tell him that somebody from, I can't remember the name of the prison, but he's here, he wants to talk to you. And you would think that you know this guy may be scared, you know he may be scared of what they're going to do, but he does not come down. He will not come down and talk to Louis Zamperini and he never actually does come down and talk to him. He refuses to talk to him. So Louie sends the little boy back up there and says, tell him that, uh, I can't remember what they had nicknamed Louis Zamperini, but this guy knew who was at his door. He knew it was Louie. And he said, tell him I forgive him. I forgive him for everything. I'm a Christian now, and I have no hate for him. And, and, goes on, and the boy goes back up and tells him this guy will not come back down and talk to him, even though he knows this, he's there to forgive him, he's not there to hurt him. And that's what this... Lesson is talking about dare to love your enemies. And Louis Zamperini goes on and, and uh, goes back into the Olympics. He runs and 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 uh, I can't remember what year it was, but he actually carried the torch not too long ago, the, the lighting ceremony for the Olympics. He actually, as an old old man, uh, carries the torch and and uh, lived to be 97 years old. Had a good full life. But that was the turning point in his life. He goes back to Japan and forgives. His enemies. He loved, literally, <clears throat> in the biblical sense. He loved his enemy, and that's what David has going on here with Saul. He loves Saul. He loves Jonathan, but Saul is is literally his enemy. Um, David forgives Saul right from the very start when when Saul brought him into his house to become his. Not necessarily a servant, because David goes out and he leads men in war. So he's not David's, or Saul's servant, but he's in David's house. And, and remember a couple weeks ago we talked about he wouldn't let him go back home anymore after that. He, he keeps David in the palace. But David is a huge help to Saul. And you'll see as you read through this, these passages that David takes men out and destroys garrisons of Philistines. Comes back in and Saul says, I want you to play for me. My heart is is." having issues. My, my spirit is, is out of control. I need David to come in and play. So David is this mighty warrior at this point, coming in to play his harp for Saul. In First Samuel chapter 18, you're just a few verses away, or a few pages away, but go to First Samuel 18 and verse 10. And I believe we've read this before in other parts of, of this series, but Chapter 18, verse 10, and it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from him and made him his captain over a thousand and went out he came in before the people, uh, and it's it's it is interesting. Saul obviously has some major issues going on. He tries to kill David and then makes him captain over a thousand men. He just uh, his his mind is not right. But it says there in verse uh, 11, David avoided out of his presence twice. This is not the only time that Saul has tried to kill him in the palace with the javelin. And there's another passage. A little bit later, that talks about, with the javelin again, Saul trying to kill David. And, and I know exactly what our mentality would be now, at least mine. I'm not going back in there. You can find somebody else to play the harp. Uh, David's already, he goes on the run. So it's not like David's afraid to leave the palace because Saul might kill me. Saul might kill him in the palace. So he eventually does leave the palace to go on the run from Saul, but... David is not going into play for Saul because he's afraid if he doesn't, Saul might kill him. He's going in because he's trying to help Saul. He's trying to help this man that that keeps trying to kill him. And uh, from the very start, when when David goes into the palace, he has this forgiving heart to Saul. He understands Saul's life has been flipped upside down. His his family has been taken from the throne. None of his descendants will, will rule so I think David kind of understands this is a tough time for Saul. I'm gonna I'm gonna forgive him for the way he's acting, um, but it but it talks about there in, in uh, chapter 18 how jealous Saul was. Saul hated David because he realized the Lord was with David and the Lord had departed from him. Uh, that's just one reason he hated Saul. But David forgives him from the very start when he goes into the palace. But he always also forgave him from the heart. He wasn't just saying, yeah, I forgive you. Uh, I remember this uh, growing up here and there, you know, two two siblings would be fighting or whatever, and, you know, my dad would make, say you're sorry. Sorry. You're not sorry. <laughs> Tell you to forgive him. I forgive you. But, you know, that, that's not from the heart. That's so you don't get in trouble for not saying sorry or I forgive you. Um, and the worst part, you, you probably remember this. <laughs> I remember Give your brother a hug. That is the worst thing in the whole world. Give your brother a hug. But David actually forgave Saul from the heart. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 19. Go there, 1 Samuel 19 and verse 8. And it says, And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and slew with a great slaughter, and they fled from him. And the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul as he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand, and David played with his hand. And Saul sought to smite David, even to the wall, with the javelin. This is another time from the one we just read in chapter 18. Uh, and he slipped away out of Saul's presence and he smote the javelin into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. David has no reason to forgive Saul for this. He can maybe wait it out till Saul dies then he takes over the throne. But David had realized and purposed in his heart that he was not going to hurt the Lord's anointed, um, and he tells Saul that in in our passage, there in chapter twenty, uh, where we at twenty six. He twenty four. He tells Saul that I'm not going to hurt the Lord's anointed. I'm going to let the Lord judge. In verse twelve, the Lord judge between me and thee. The Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. I'm not going to hurt you. But it wasn't because necessarily because David loved. Him. Saul so much is because he respected uh, Saul's position. He respected that God had anointed Saul. And this is completely contrary. Remember, uh, when Saul is is anointed king, they were jumping ahead of God's timing. We talked about this very early on in the series that the children of Israel wanted a king. They wanted to be like the rest of the nations. And God says, fine, I'll give you a king. And they give, they give, he gives them King Saul, head and shoulders above the rest of the people. Uh, at the time, handsome, strong, um, what they wanted in a king, but it wasn't God's time. And David learns that lesson, and he says, I want, to, I want to kill you, but I'm not going to, because you're God's anointed, and I'm not going to rush God's hand. And that's exactly what David is talking about here. The Lord will judge between me and thee. The Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not. Uh, "Be upon thee." So he forgives Saul from his heart, but David is very respectful to Saul, too. You'll see that in verse uh, verse 8, I believe, and we'll get to that in just a second. But David is respectful to Saul, which uh, respect has completely gone out of uh, our culture these days. Respect for anything, parents, police, uh, pastors, it doesn't matter. Respect is gone. Um, you'll see it anywhere you look. I remember, and I'm not that old, but I remember uh, being in, in high school and college, and we would go out into the inner cities and into the projects and whatever and bring kids into church. And I remember uh, being with, y'all know Pastor Whitaker, he's one of the missionaries we support, but he was the one in charge of the bus. And I, we'd go out with him, and you'd have some... some for lack of a better term, some, you know, young 20 thugs, you know, some 20, young 20-year-olds, 20 uh, and they would kind of get around us and, and start harassing a little bit and everything else, and you'd have somebody holler out from the window, leave the preacher alone, you know, leave the preacher alone, they had respect, even in the projects uh, for the man of God, but anymore, that, that's that gone, even among our church people, uh, you know, your, your pastor, says something, and, and around behind his back, everybody, nah, I do that. there's no respect. Same thing with police officers. There's no respect. They wonder why they get into such situations with the police because they can't just say, yes, sir, and then deal with the consequences for whatever they did. You have to go after the police and try to you know, prove to them that you're right and they're wrong. And uh, But David didn't have that for Saul. He was respectful. Uh, his words were respectful. Look in verse 6. And he said unto these men, chapter 24, verse 6, He said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth my hand against him, seeing he is the the anointed of the Lord. He is respectful of the position that Saul holds. And really, I mean, Saul hasn't proved himself. He hasn't earned the respect of David at this point. But because he's the Lord's anointed, David says with his words to his men, the Lord forbid that we should do this thing unto my master. He is the Lord's anointed. Uh, <clears throat> Psalm chapter 75, verse 6 and 7. Asaph, Asaph write, writes this. For promotion for promotion cometh neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. And David knew this. He knew he was going to be king. But don't rush God's hand. Let, let God take Saul down it. If somebody's going to take Saul down, let God do it. Uh, But his actions were respectful, too. And you'll see that in verse 8. David also arose afterward and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked upon him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. If anybody should have been bowed down to, it wasn't Saul. Not by David. This This is chapter 24. The first time we read in chapter 18, the second time we read in chapter 19, he tried to pin him to the wall with a javelin. He doesn't deserve David's respect. But David gives him that respect, as we see there in verse 9. bows his face to the earth, stoops before him, because he respects the office uh, that, that Saul holds. Now, um, we see in, in chapter 26 a similar story to what we just read in 20 in chapter 24, where David's in the cave, Saul comes in the cave, David cuts a little piece of his uh, garment off to show that he was that close. I could have killed you, and you didn't even know I took this piece of your garment off. In chapter 26, the same situation happens, but uh, David is with Abishai, and the Bible says that, that God caused a very deep sleep to come on uh, Saul and his men. And David and Abishai creep through these men stepping over, you know, sleeping soldiers and take his cruise of water and his uh, and his spear. They take Saul's water and his spear and they leave. And the same thing. They get away far enough from them that Saul can't kill them. And they wake them up and say, hey, you see what I got? I got your cruise of water and your spear. And David's not, David is not doing this to tease Saul. You know, it's not like he's this Robin Hood that's, you know, messing with the sheriff. He's doing this to show Saul, I'm not trying to kill you. I've had a couple chances now to kill you, but I don't, I don't want to kill you. Uh, And when I, when you first read this, it's, it's interesting that, you know, why would, why would God cause a deep sleep? You know, for us, that would be, well, God, God's allowing me to go in there and kill Saul. Uh, Or, why would David be creeping around in the camp with these soldiers? I mean, if one of them wakes up, they're going to kill him. <clears throat> but when you read, <clears throat> excuse me, when you read further into it, that, that's exactly what David is doing. He's trying to show Saul, I have all the respect in the world for you. I want to go back to the palace and continue to serve you. But you're out chasing me around the country. I'm out running around the country, running away from you, when I have no ill will towards you. I'm trying to. Uh, respect you because you are God's anointed and it says that very clearly in chapter 26 um, that that that's why he did that that's why he takes this cruise and this spear so that he can go up to the hill and and call out to Saul and show him that he has no malice toward him but David then forbears and and this is we'll finish on this point David has forbearance towards Saul and the word forbear, means to politely or patiently restrain an impulse to do something. That's a perfect definition of what David has, forbearance. It doesn't mean that he likes being chased down like a dog. That's what he says in verse, in chapter 24. Are you chasing a dead dog? Are you chasing a flea? I, I'm your servant. I'm commanding soldiers in your army. Uh, without saying it, I actually have some standing in your court. Um What are you doing is what he's asking him. But David forbears. He politely and patiently restrains an impulse to do something. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Now you remember, David doesn't have these verses when he's forbearing uh, Saul, when he's giving him this restraint, this patience, and this uh, respect that, that Saul completely does not deserve. The Bible tells us uh, now in the New Testament to forbear one another. And it's and this is particularly talking to Christians, forbearing one another uh, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Um, and that's God's plan. That's God's plan for resolving conflict in the church. Forgiving, forgiving. And forbearing. Um, <clears throat> I mean, there, there should never be a church split if we're following what the Bible says. Forgive uh, and forbear. Forbearing. If if somebody does something against you, there should be a repentance to them, a forgiving. And then if you still can't get along or whatever the case is, there should be a forbearing where we politely and patiently restrain ourselves in what we want to do. What our flesh wants to do to that person, we forbear uh, in doing that, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. And <clears throat> this is, I want to read this passage too in Matthew chapter 5, because we, we already read verse 44, saying that David very much followed this pattern, even though he didn't have the pattern to follow. But Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, and we'll read through verse 48. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. So when we went through the whole Sermon on the Mount, when the pastor gave us that series, this is what you've always heard. This is what the world tells you to do. But this is what I'm telling you. Verse 44, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That's exactly what Saul is doing to David. Verse 45, that you may be the children of your father which is in heaven, for he make his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? He's saying, if you love people that are that love you back, you're not proving anything. The publicans do that. Verse 47, and if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not the publicans even so? If you only salute and say, hey, how you doing? You know, I hope you had a good day. To people that you like. Verse 48, he says, be ye therefore perfect even as your father, which is in heaven, <clears throat> is perfect, complete. Um, so he's saying, do love your enemies and bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Which, which begs the question, uh, there are many politically and otherwise now that are, uh, that hate Christians. they're they're persecuting Christians in in as far an extent as they think they can get away with in our country right now. How many of us are praying for them? We're commanded to do that in in Matthew chapter 5. Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Are you loving your enemies are we blessing them that are cursing us are we doing good to them or are we just complaining about it i i'm guilty of that i've complained a lot about it i've uh you know it's it's hard to not hope i hope i hope god when he takes them down i hope he takes them down hard but he's saying pray for them uh they have a soul as well uh our governor the mayors, the ones that we think are oppressing the Christians as much as they possibly can, oppressing not just Christians, but freedoms in America. But are we praying for them? Are we doing good to them that hate us? Are we uh, trying to see them succeed, not in the wickedness, but see them succeed in what God wants them to do? That's what Matthew chapter 5 is telling us to do. And that's what David does. David is, he wants the best for Saul. If anybody had a reason to hate Saul, a reason to kill Saul. <clears throat> excuse me, and a reason to hope that Saul fails in everything he does. It's David, and he doesn't do that. He, as we see in chapter uh, 24, and verse 6, he stoops low. He gives Saul the respect that he, that his position deserves, uh, because he's the Lord's anointed. And we can go a lot of different directions with that, um, but are we doing that uh, for? God's men. Are we giving them the respect that they are due? Not necessarily because oh, he's got the greatest personality. We love, but he's God's anointed, and as long as you're sitting under that anointed man, we need to give them the respect that God gives them—the the, the respect that the position holds. Um, but Christ's example is also consistent with exactly what He preached in Matthew chapter five. Go to Luke chapter twenty-three, real quickly. Luke chapter twenty-three. And we're almost done. Luke chapter twenty-three and verse thirty-four. Jesus wasn't telling us something uh, to do something that he he wasn't going to do himself. Uh, and imagine on the cross how how much forbearance it took to stay on that cross for the people that you are dying for. They're killing you. You're dying for them. The Bible talks about he was born on to, he was born to die for sinners. But the ones you're dying for, they're the ones that hate you. They're killing you. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Jesus says this. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. You know where he's at when he's saying this. He's hanging on the cross here. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He takes that pattern he gave us in Matthew chapter 5, and he does exactly what he told us to do. Love them that hate you. Do good to them uh, that are that are persecuting you and praying pray for them. And he does. He prays right to his Father. Forgive them. They know not what they do. And then they parted his raiment and cast lots. Christ's example is perfectly consistent with, with what he told us to do. And <clears throat> I guess more than anything, the lesson today is none of us are going through what David was going through. We're not being chased down for our lives. That doesn't mean that we won't one day. But... Uh, we, if you read history, you see that, especially in the Dark Ages, and these Christians were hunted literally like dogs. They, they like animals. They had dogs chasing Christians to find them and kill them. We're not going through that. But even if we are, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, in His Sermon on the Mount, that we are supposed to do good to them that hate us, to love them that are trying to kill us, that to love them that are that are persecuting us. Uh, we'll close with this story. There's a story of two chinese men this kind of a silly story but two chinese men both of them owned rice paddies and it was up on a hill and so they separated their their rice fields with this partition wall basically but the, the first man had it up on the top of the hill and then it was down a level uh and the second man had it. the one that was on top had he was a christian he owned uh farmed these rice paddies but he was a christian and the problem was they had to get water all the way up that hill to uh, water their rice paddies. You ever you ever seen them? They have to stay underwater in order for the rice to grow. And so what they would do at the bottom of the hill, they had this canal, and they had a pump, but you had to go down there and pump it by hand, and it would pump it up this little channel and into his rice field. And so he would do that every morning. And a couple of hours, the, the the unsaved guy who was just a little bit lower on the hill, a couple hours after he pumped all this water up, he would go out there and he would a hole in the bottom of, of that wall and all that water would drain into his rice field and so he never had to go pump water he never had to carry water and every day the Christian would see this he'd work do all this work to get the the, the water up and then it would be drained dry and he knew what was happening he knew this guy was was getting all of his water through that wall the problem was he was trying to witness to this man and trying to get him to become a christian so he went to his pastor and he said what am i supposed to do the guy needs to learn a lesson he can't just keep doing that That, that's stealing he's taking all the work that i've done and his pastor said three words love your enemies and that's what that's what matthew chapter 5 says love your enemies it doesn't say get back at him it doesn't say uh you know figure out a way to outsmart him so that you can get back at him it says love your enemies so the man walked away and starting the next morning, he would pump water up to the first field and then he would pump water up to his own field. And so he was taking care of this man's field so he wouldn't need to steal his water and he was loving his enemy. And very shortly after this, and I don't know if it's a true story or not, but shortly after this, this, this man uh, is, con- is convicted of what he's been doing to his friend and his neighbor and he becomes a Christian because of the love that this man showed toward his enemy. Toward this man that was despitefully using him. Um, and that's what David does here. But but it's very interesting also that David restrains himself. He forbears to hurt Saul. He, he, he refuses to do it. And then God takes care of Saul. God kills him in battle. And that's the end. And David has no blot on his reputation. He... None of the people can say, "Oh man, David! David, you know, ran a coup on the on the kingdom. He took over." Doesn't God? God takes care of Saul. Um, and that, that story I started with with uh, Louis Zamperini. Maybe more of a, a. Sometimes we we read in the Bible and we see these stories and they're just stories to us. Um, yeah, that's David, but he was a man after God's own heart. He was this larger-than-life figure, killed a, gl- a giant, killed a, a lion and a bear. That That's not something we can do today. But when you hear stories like that with Louis Zamperini, God changed his heart. Changed his heart when he got saved, and he goes back to Japan to forgive his enemy, to love this man that literally tortured him for two straight years. Um, and, that, and that's... Like I said, we're, none of us are going through any of that. If we if we were, we would be expected, according to the Bible, to respond in the same way. So the little bit that we are going through, are we responding in that way? Or are we out to get our vengeance? And we know the verse, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. You do what I told you to do. You love your enemies. You do good to them that hate you. I'll take care of the vengeance part. And he does. God does. He, he punishes the wicked. Uh, maybe not in the way we wish or, or would if it was us, but God takes care of them, and we are not. that's not our job. Our job is not to take out our vengeance on those that, that we would consider our enemies. Our job is to do what he says in Matthew chapter 5, love our enemies. All right, let's pray, and then we will get ready for a morning service. Father, again, I thank you for this opportunity we have to come away from the world to meet with our brothers and sisters and, and fellowship with them around your word to uh, learn what you have to say. God, this lesson is so important. It's so opposite of the, what the world teaches, uh, but it's exactly what you've told us to do, and I pray that we would follow it. I pray that we would uh, obey. We love our enemies, that we would show them the love of Christ, even as they're trying to harm us, and that that would draw people to you uh, through our testimonies and through our witness. pray that you would bless this next hour that you'll be with our pastor as he brings the message, that you give him uh, wisdom and power, and that you'd speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're dismissed.